Hello, all you lovely submariners, precursor aliens, and beautiful, beautiful peepers out there. My name's Thomas Quillfelt, captaining my first ever Cane and Rinse issue, and joining me are Brian Edwards. Hello, I'm coming to you from LifePod USA. <laughs> I'm just going to do a hi. And Ryan Zhao. Blub blub and, and such. <laughs> We're here to talk about Subnautica, a survival, crafting, and exploration game set on an alien ocean world. Spoiler warning, uh, if you thought this was just a kind of crafting and swimming game, it is not. There is plenty to spoil. Uh, there is lots to see and to dive into. And there, uh, on that note, there will be probably plenty of accidental dodgy water puns in this so i warn you about that too i know at least one panel member finds bad jokes to be a drowning offense so i will try and avoid those if at all so the uh, the developer of this uh, game is unknown worlds entertainment uh, based in san francisco uh, usa i know that they have backing uh, uh, investment capital from uh, from abroad the uh, team started as just two people but then grew to about 30 people upon release um, their previous games were a Half-Life mod called Natural Selection, which is a sort of mixture of a first-person shooter and real-time strategy. And they followed that up with a properly released commercial game, standalone game, which was Natural Selection 2, uh, which was a fast-paced multiplayer shooter in 2012 that pits aliens against humans in a strategic and action-packed struggle for survival, which has very positive Steam reviews. Um, I've only got uh, Charlie Cleveland down here as the director. Uh, apologies, I didn't grab any of the other names of the people in the team, but uh, we want to, I guess, get through this bit quite quickly. Um, uh, it should be noted that the sound designer and composer Simon Chilinski was fired uh, just after launch, I think, around uh, the proper launch of the game around February 2018, following outcry over historical insensitive statements made on his Twitter account. Um, so yeah, the the budget uh, apparently was around nine million dollars around the time of one point zero release in twenty eighteen. Uh, so Charlie's own words, he says it's not a super small indie, um, and it released in Steam early access uh, in December twenty fourteen. So quite a long time ago. So quite a long early access period, really. Uh, Mac OS um, in June twenty fifteen, still early access. Uh, Xbox One Early Access, May 2016, Mac OS Windows Proper Release, uh, January 2018, PS4, Xbox One, December 2018, P PC, VR, HTC Vive, Index, Oculus Rift, Quest, all of that goodness. I don't actually know when that, that version released. I don't know, Brian, if you know that. Um, and then Switch, PS5, Series X and S in May 2021. User reviews, it has 87% on PC, on Metacritic, and OpenCritic, it has an 85%. So let's dive straight into our histories. Uh, John, how about you? Uh, I have fairly long history with this, I think. I remember seeing various videos from YouTubers um, probably around the time that it was in fairly early, early access. I was watching something the other day that was from... I think early 2015, so it must have been very, very new. And I know I watched those videos like concurrently as well. So I was, I was always quite interested in this. There's this element to this where I think I do have at least a little bit of thalassophobia, and I'm pretty sure we've mentioned this on previous podcasts with um, 
very specifically some bits in uh, the first couple of Tomb Raider games and uh, Echo the Dolphin that probably scarred me more than uh, I'm normally willing to admit. So uh, there was a point of this where I'm like, well, this looks really cool. And also it looks like it's probably going to scare the pants off me. So I feel like I should be involved in it. I know that I bought it on Xbox super, super early and was definitely playing it while it was in oh, their, their early access things, not called early access. It's called something like um, uh, game, preview? game preview. Yeah, I think yeah. it's game preview. Yeah. So I, I know that I started it up originally when it was there and then obviously due to that owned it as soon as it hit 1.0. Um, I think I kind of dabbled around with it but never really, really sunk in. And then I think... Um, it, weirdly we're doing this the week after we did Kentucky Route Zero and I'm looking at my um like my history on Xbox and that was that came out in 2020 and I played it in like October and exactly the same with Subnautica I don't know what it was I guess it was maybe you know six months into the pandemic situation where I just really needed some sort of like deep thing to sink into um and like lifestyles and stuff different at that point so my my like proper Subnautica playthrough was, uh, yeah, October 2020. And I believe I just kind of sat down for about four days, didn't have very much to do, work was a bit slow. Um, I was living on my own, like no obligations to anything at all. And I think I just had like four or five days where I just sat down and played it like all day, woke up in the morning, made some coffee or something like that, and just sat down in front of the TV, played it for like 12 hours straight, by the end of it, obviously, coffee turned into liquor and things, and that was that was it. It was like four days of fifteen hour days or like five days of twelve hour days, and I got through it and I think I was really shocked with how I'd sort of just assumed it would be like when I tried to play something like Minecraft or Terraria and found it very overwhelming and didn't get very far but i was I was really surprised with how much I actually clicked with the the game and blasted through it and it, it ends up getting quite a lot more story based and lore based and rich than you might expect for probably what the average sort of youtube video or something might show you um but yeah so this this ended up being my pick for the year because i was very very keen to talk about it after after having that kind of sublime experience but yeah played it again mostly over the course of the last week or two and it's it's no worse than it was when I first played it. Like I had the same sort of experience. So yeah, that's me. And Brian. Um, yeah, actually John and uh, my starts with some are very similar. Um, I also, um, at the time in 2016, I had been watching a lot of YouTube videos about this game and, and kind of watching people, the things they were able to accomplish and kind of the sense of scale that the game kind of offered. It seemed right up my alley. Um, I did not have a computer at the time that was capable of any sort of PC gaming. So uh, when it came out on the Xbox game preview, I, I think I got it either the day it came out there or very soon afterwards. Um, unfortunately, what I found on my I had a launch Xbox uh, um, Xbox one and um, it just the performance was just real bad. Um, and I think it was just I mean, it's an early access game anyway, so you expect some hitches, but I I just didn't have the machine capable of running it, I think. So um, I probably put three or four hours into it and said, you know, why don't I give this one a little bit more time? Um, came back to it a couple years later after I got an Xbox uh, One X um, and I probably put 
uh, 20 or 30 hours uh, into it, but never actually finished the story. I just kind of was uh, bebopping around the ocean, building some stuff, uh, crafting things. I, I was I was getting a lot out of. Uh, I was kind of treating it more like um, almost like an Animal Crossing game, which sounds weird because it's it's there's no social aspect, but just kind of like, oh, what am I going to do today? I'm like, oh, I'll go get some copper. You know, I'll do some things. So I kind of treated it much more casually. And then when um, uh, when the show calendar came out this year, I said, oh, well, I really got to um, commit and uh, put some time into it. Uh, fortunately for me, by that point, I had had a PC capable of it, and it was on, uh, even though I owned it on the, on Xbox, it was also on Game Pass for PC. So in January, I downloaded it on my, um, on my computer, where it ran very nicely, and um, yeah, I played through, um, I loaded up my old file, and said, I'm just going to pick up where I was. I, I tried to do anything, completely had forgotten how anything worked, so I scrapped the original file, and then uh, started from scratch to play for the show. And I probably played it pretty regularly, it was my... It was my nightly game, my three, four hour a day game, uh, probably for a good month or so there. Um, and uh, yeah, played through till uh, the the ending, which we'll talk about later. And then uh, I've been dipping back and forth here over the last few weeks just to refresh for the show. Ryan. I picked this up in uh, February of 2017, um, which must have been a part of a Humble Bundle or something. I don't think I went and purchased this one individually. I'm sure it came in a bundle of some sort. And since then, I think I've had it installed on my computer for like the majority of that time and have kind of dipped in every once in a while, um, mostly because I just mostly as like a more of a graphical showcase than anything. Like it's a, it's a beautiful world to look at. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, I get kind of curious about underwater games um, because, you know, on the grand scheme of things, there's not that many games that make use of like these kind of lush, beautiful underwater environments, I guess post the era in which like all 2d platformers had underwater levels like in 3d you don't get as much underwater as um as you know such a biome probably deserves but anyways i i never really put a lot of kind of earnest time into this one before the run-up to the show because i'm not really a huge like survival game person i, I tend to actually pretty <laughs> pretty significantly like dislike the genre um, but it wasn't until I spent time in preparation for the show that I discovered that, like, yes, the game has survival elements, but it's very much not the typical survival game. Think of like Rust and Ark Survival Evolved. You know, it's not the kind of game where, you know, it, there's not like that kind of procedural generation. There's not, you know, the sense of a really kind of slow opening that, uh, well, anyways, we'll talk a little. A little bit about the genre a bit later but it um it surprised me in how uh i, I guess linear and kind of story focused it was and that really kind of propelled me through um i i wasn't able to finish finish the game uh for the uh, before the the pod started just because i've had a an extremely busy <laughs> couple months recently but um I, i've gotten through most of the experience and uh i've had some uh, kind of odd encounters along the way that I'm looking forward to talking about as well. So my history is I, I have like probably all of us, everyone listening to this, um, anyone who's engaged with video games pretty, you know, actively. Games like this, I think, bubble up in our consciousness. And I, I have a big, long spreadsheet of stuff I'd like to play, a literal backlog, I guess. Um, and this kind of game i guess occupies this space of like it's great 
but I'll probably never get to it. And it's stuff like Sunless Skies, Advanced War. There's like there's just like a certain type of game, Persona Five Royal. There's like a certain kind of game for for whatever reason. I just know that I just probably won't quite get to it, or I won't quite enjoy it that much, or or whatever it is. I've just there's a mental block between me and the game around the time it comes out and people are first talking about it. And also, I don't tend to watch YouTubers play games I haven't played when they're doing crazy things or reacting to things or or stuff like that. It's kind of not not necessarily my vibe. However, of course, you, you hear things, you know, I heard John recommend this game. And when we talk about games like Outer Wilds and 2018 was the 2018 was this game for like was this year for games like Hollow Knight, Outer Wilds and Subnautica that kind of were so deep and rich that actually you couldn't help but overhear someone who'd really got to the bottom of them, you know, infuse about them in a way you just weren't hearing about certain other games. And that kind of, you know, nudges it up your list in your head. And then um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think PlayStation... um, it was part of their play from home initiative. So it was free straight into your digital library. Okay. We've all got a gazillion games now one way or another from steam sales and sales and whatever, you know, just so many games now um, available to us. And, and at my stage in life, I've got two little kids, um, you know, balancing that and work and gaming time is really, really hard. So um, I was so cocky. Um, this is my first hosting gig. I was so cocky. I started this game in February. I was like, oh yeah, I'm starting really early. I'm going to have plenty of time to finish this. And then Elden Ring released. And I was like, yeah, I've got time to put some hours into Elden Ring. And then I just did not quite clock how um, much of Subnautica there was still to go. And so I came back to it thinking I had enough time. And I, I literally, I'm probably two hours off um seeing credits and i i really 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 tried this weekend to get to it. i was you know trying to dodge sea leviathan sea dragon leviathans with my six-year-old watching who just before bedtime who really should not be <laughs> seeing some of these creatures but um you know child abuse be, be damned um <laughs> so i so i didn't <laughs> didn't quite make it to the credits but uh uh you know i i i almost made it and um I think I think my I rushed this game quite badly. I had to look up a lot of stuff. I did not have the kind of um you know, I did not marinate in it like the chance that, that John had. I just didn't have the time and I think when I sum up later I'll kind of, you know, there'll be a warning in there to people about their patience levels and the time they have available to play. But I'll get to that later, yeah. So um, I didn't quite get there, and I I did I was I was playing it literally five minutes ago before coming to the recording. So, I think um, I've tried to divide up how we're going to tackle this game. I think the most important and resonant thing about this game for people is the underwater setting. I mean, that is the overriding thing. It is the thing that people notice and that draws them to the game, even when they don't know anything else about the game they see the thumbnails they see the youtube thumbnails especially normally with uh you know the reaper, that, uh, reaper leviathan's face yeah. yep yeah exactly <laughs> that's the classic one as if that's as if that's the only thing in the in the whole game but um uh interesting to just to bring up a few influences from the director um who is very candid in t- interviews about 
that the game kind of got away from him in terms of his initial ideas. Like it wasn't just his vision. His vision was to make a game about un- the unknown and to go very much on the aesthetic uh, side of things. And he wanted it to be a peaceful game because after the Sandy Hook shootings, which is kind of when he developed uh, started developing this game, he didn't want any guns, no violence in the game. But the way that early access worked and the way that the team wanted to pull the game, there was a, a big push and pull about the the kind of some of the weapons and the things that made it into the game. But the things that did influence him very much are James Cameron films uh, like The Abyss and Avatar. And at the time they started, Minecraft was a huge um, kind of thing happening in the games community. And once they decided to switch from, they were going to make a space game, but there were a lot of space games around at the time, they switched to underwater. So, of course, they started looking around to see what other underwater games there were. Not many. So, of course, Echo the Dolphin um, then became a, 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 a thing. And just before I open it up to the panel, worth mentioning, of course, but John, you, you already mentioned this, that this is a, for some people, for many people, a scary game. And the director says again, he thinks of it as terror, not horror. Um, and of course, there's a lot of phobias that people have that some other people don't. And you've already mentioned thalassophobia, which is the fear of deep bodies of water. There's things like megalophobia, fear of large objects. Of course, fear of drowning, fear of suffocating, fear of the unknown, claustrophobia, etc., etc. Um, So, yeah, what do you guys, how do you guys feel about the setting and how it's rendered here? I- I think the 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 initial um, charm of coming out of your pod and hopping into the water and just kind of like like what feels like the entire world is basically like, you know, 300 yards out from your pod because you don't want to go that far. Right. So like that initial feeling of like going down, coming back up, going down, coming back up is really effective, really neat. Um, I I didn't think this game was going to scare me in any way, Um, like a a lot of people in videos that I had watched. what I had seen. Um, what I didn't realize though, <clears throat> so I probably had put 15 or 20 hours into the game before I felt any real sense of scare at all. And I would thought it might've been going to the one base where you kind of have to go down through the crack and the rift, but everything's kind of got this glow to it. Cause there's kind of these underwater alien facilities have a glow to it. Um, and, and, or some of the life forms kind of give off these kind of little, uh, lights and things like that. So none of that really bothered me. What, what I ended up getting really bothered by was when, I started really going deep and I don't just mean that from what could be down there. Just the, the unsettling darkness that if all you have is that light of your sea moth or later on the cycle, but, um, but when I started going there with my sea moth, when I got the couple uh, other, uh, depth, um, uh, attachments to go farther down, like when I was down there in the dark and not really much sound. And the only thing in front of me was kind of that cone of light I could see through like that ended up getting me in a way I, I wasn't expecting. So that's that's bathophobia or yeah so so or, or bathybic things so so the deepest parts of yeah. the ocean and yeah some of the some of the scariest moments are when you're in your cyclops because there's there's the most limited view isn't it and you're just in you're you're going down and you're just in a an expanse of water and there's just nothing yeah. there there's nothing to mm. see you you're have no like point of reference sinking into the blackness yeah like it does feel like a horror game but also something that I was reading earlier said that it's it's rated like T. So it's also super accessible for kind of everybody to get hold of. Like it, it doesn't even seem like it's that sort of game that 
maybe people shouldn't be exposed to but you know the list of phobias that you've put down there are so common and like so they all kind of go together and i think you get mm -hmm. that with even even the the very very beginning of the game there's points where you start out and i think you've got something like 45 seconds of oxygen when you first leave your life pod and your first like first obvious task is just to kind of swim around and explore the area and find some basic materials and something tells you that a lot of these materials can be found in caves and you swim into a cave and suddenly within like three seconds you're in this cave and you're lost like you don't know where you are anymore there's no you can't just swim up to the surface and you've gone around a couple of corners and that oxygen meter runs out so quickly that there's definitely that like, immediate panic almost yeah, no I, matter what you do i mean the game loop is built around fear not but not a horror fear you know it's not an amnesia kind of fear it's the it's a different kind of fear because i'm an anxious person and um this game brings out different kinds of anxieties in a in a good way in a in a fun way you know the anxiety i felt today of like you know oh my oh my i left the purple tablets in the cyclops and i got all the way down to the thermopod and i didn't have enough power cells and blah 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 that kind of resource anxiety but but when you very start you know the anxiety of like i don't want to get out of this life pod it's dark outside i don't know where anything is there is nothing on the horizon except that large crash pod and then a tiny little nub of coral in the distance and that's it i have no compass nothing and the loop of course as we know you know what what is great about this game is your the 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 loop of gameplay expands as you become less afraid and of course the tech tree plays into that as you expand your tech tree, you are able to breathe more, which means you can go deeper, which means you can get more stuff, which means you can go deeper, which means you can go further. And and you're, it's like the, the tech allows you to go deeper, but your own fear levels, your own mastery of your own fear and anxiety is what really allows you to go deeper, isn't it? And that's And that's what allows you to kind of build your own play loops deeper and longer and more brave and then you start planning resources and putting water and food aside to go further out to get to that life pod yeah. or to get to that data box and that is the hook of the game until you're going so deep that you're planning huge trips yeah. in your cyclops yeah. all the way down to the deepest parts and that's what's kind of hooking me to kind of see the end of the game as much you know as the nightmare of like Oh, I didn't bring enough lithium and ah, oh, I left my grav trap you know in that other locker and all of that <laughs> yeah it has that same feeling that uh i think we've mentioned multiple times but i get very strongly with something like a dark souls game where you're like walking along a narrow edge and you know one or two minimal button presses in the wrong direction is going to mean that you're dead and you lose a whole load of progress and have to redo it and there is that point with subnautica where it's like you swim into a cave and your oxygen is running out very quickly or you hear the um, like that the very distinct noise that these things called crash fish make, where they come out of these little pods and like scream and swim <laughs> yeah, towards you yeah. and then explode. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh my god, I'm gonna die! Sounds I'm gonna like, lose my. It sounds like R two D two when he's running from explosions in Star Wars. That high pitched wail as he's just screaming down the hallway every single time. That thing got me. It is those serious Sam suicide bombers. Should we talk about actually fear and the creatures actually? I mean, in terms of the creatures, you know, you first run into a Reaper Leviathan, yeah, probably either end of the the crashed ship, and you're like, 
oh, I want you because actually you'll see one of the reefback leviathans and it, at very first you'll hear the huge moan and you'll see it, the, the silhouette of it. And I think that's a wonderful moment because I'm like, I am not ready to go and find out what that is, friend or foe. And then when you are ready, you're like, oh, it's the big cuddly floating island thingy, you know, and, and suddenly you get this moment of tranquility and you're like, OK, not everything large is out to get me. And actually, you know, is quite a friendly and reassuring sign because you quickly realise when you see a reef back, there's unlikely to be anything else large and scary around it. And they even and actually, have resources growing on them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they've got a few. There's a plant that can hurt you that sometimes grows on it, but but not much. Um, but you go to either end of the... Of course, you're drawn to the crash ship because it's your only real point of reference. And the, the game forces you towards it fairly quickly. Like There's a, yeah. some sort of timer from when you start the game to the point where your your little PDA AI assistant thing tells you that the, the ship is going to explode. And then once that happens, it tells you that you have to go to the ship to like fix the radiation uh, energy cells or something inside it to stop a radiation leak. So no matter what you do, you either see the ship within 10 minutes and think, oh, I'm going to go and check that out, or the game like really prods you in that direction after maybe a few hours at most yeah i remember it it has that countdown or not countdown where it says you know the the reactor something's gonna happen to the reactor it's gonna explode unless you do something about it and i just had that i had that conversation in my head where i'm like guess that ship's blowing up i'm not even sure if you can prevent it (laughs) like i I still don't know if you can actually prevent that from happening but like i was at the part in my game not the one that comes to, to 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 um to rescue you it's a it's the um the, the one that's already burning is going to have that big explosion. And uh, I remember making that mental calculation and be like, ah, well, if it ends the game, then I guess I'll have to figure it out. But I'm I'm not going anywhere near that yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just saw it and I, I kind of forgot. I played this in such a bitty fashion that I would just forget stuff I was told. So I, all I saw was like, I wonder what's on the other side of that ship. So I would go way too early to swim all the way around it. And of course, I ran into a Reaper Re- Leviathan at both ends and the ship is absolutely massive yeah, huge. and you're you're not really supposed to go around the other side certainly not without i didn't even have a sea glide um <laughs> and, and the, that, the, the reaper yeah. leviathan didn't actually kill me i mean even if a reaper leviathan gets hold of you it's not necessarily gonna take all your health away and that's the thing even the even the some of the scariest enemies at the beginning they're not gonna get i don't know even the worst things that can happen to you don't necessarily completely mess you up in terms of the intentionally yeah. bad things in the game. Mm. I think so, like some of the worst things that can happen to you in Subnautica are a result of t- technical yeah. problems and save, yeah. you know, save issues and things you forgot rather than... Those Reaper Leviathans really remind me of uh, uh, a character named uh, Mido from, um, or Mido from Ocarina of Time. Before you can go to the Deku tree, he's just standing at the tunnel with his hand out, like, "Hey, wait! Do you have your sword and shield yet?" You know what I mean? And he won't—he won't let you through until you have it. Um, I feel like the game gates progress in a really interesting way there. By kind of, you can still pretty much do everything. Um, nothing stopping you from, uh, you know, putting in console commands or running an oxygen pipe from the surface all the way down. Like you can do all that if you want to. Um, pretty early in the game. Um, but it does really gate you. <clears throat> it's like kind of a, a ability or item based gating there um, that that happens pretty naturally. Um, mm. 
Let's um, let's but let's read some feedback from the forum. You can of course go to the Cane and Rinse forums and leave feedback on upcoming shows on our uh, volume eleven. There uh, we have all of the posts for each show there. Um, so we've got Chronum Eleven says I've played a lot of horror games, but no game has scared the pants off me quite like Subnautica. I bought the game in early access, thinking it looked like a relaxing submarine base building game in a coral reef. And for the first couple of hours, it was. I built my first base, built some gear, built a wee little submarine to explore with. Then, one in-game night, I took my sub out to the edge of the map where a shipwreck I wanted to explore was. While slowly cutting open the wreck, lit by my submarine's headlights, I heard a terrifying roar. A second later, I was enveloped in darkness. I turn around in time to see the light of my submarine getting dragged into the darkness by something very big indeed. Needless to say, I took my exposed, snack-sized self and swam as quickly as possible back home through pitch-black waters deep beneath the surface. There are many experiences like that in Subnautica. The game has a light and inviting atmosphere that belies the many terrors of the deep sea. So I think we should go straight on to gameplay and uh, a bit of feedback here from a Patreon. Uh, Garrison Savannah says... Subnautica is a great example of early access done right. I gave loads of feedback via the handy F8 button and feel that some of this shaped how the game turned out. The devs were really open during the whole process with constant updates and their Trello open for all to look at if they wanted. Um, Garrison recommends the People Make Games video on Subnautica's early access period. And I think just uh, before I turn over to you guys, it's worth mentioning just uh, the four game modes are Hardcore, which is Hunger and Thirst, Power Drain and Permadeath. And interestingly, Joseph Anderson mentioned that some of the tools that you can craft that might not seem that useful, like the um, little pillow thing that helps you get up to the surface quickly or some of the markers that help you get out of caves, might be more helpful in a Permadeath run than they are necessarily in the other... um, modes we have of course survival mode which is you can um, die of hunger you can die of thirst uh, and the power drain uh, peace peaceful mode which is just power drain and then creative which is no limits so yeah in terms of um, just general gameplay guys including of course crafting movement combat that kind of thing uh, how did you guys find subnautica bearing in mind what you've already gone on and other games you might have played that are similar I think um, after reading that, I did not know that until just looking at the show notes that the early access launched without food and water, because I I was going to say that did feel very much tacked on to me. Um, That was not a um, just the whether it was, you know, getting bladder fish for water or just, you know, kind of getting some food. Um, And I that didn't add any aspect to the game for me, any enjoyment to the game for me. Um, Like I understand the managing of meters and like how that can be satisfying. Um, It actually reminded me of like, I I was thinking of don't starve, um, which is a, obviously has direct comparisons and like that game is called don't starve. So you kind of have this idea going into it, like what you're going to be expected to do. And so obviously food and, and water, uh, you know, uh, survival for survival purposes is kind of expected. But in, um, I felt in uh, Subnautica, I was always kind of getting in the way um and it reminded me of a, a ps2 rpg that i love uh called dark cloud um which also had a food and water system for no real reason like it was you kind of be in the middle of something and then a blinker would go off and be like oh come on i gotta you know i just gotta go take my hot knife and cut up some fish so i can eat real quick um but 
the crafting aspect of it is where I probably found the most satisfaction um, in Subnautica. There's something about uh, finding a resource, getting enough of that resource to make a oxygen tank. Finally, okay, you've got an oxygen tank, you can go deeper. And then that unlocks the blueprint for, hey, here's a high capacity oxygen tank. In order to get this, there's like two blued out resources you already know and then two resources you've never encountered before it's like okay so now i gotta venture out further see what i get come back that loop probably the first 10 15 hours of the game that's the loop i got the most out of um because i felt like that was really uh well tuned and well crafted um and and this might be a bit of a gripe that that maybe other people had maybe um people didn't the only the only thing i really didn't like about that loop is i found that like the materials sometimes were like very difficult to make out on the environment, particularly um, the outcrops for copper at the beginning of the game, because those little rock lumps on the surface of the caves are almost the exact same color and texture. So I, I had a lot of problems with the game just kind of sussing out not just where crafting materials what were, but what in the environment was actually something I could hit, mine, collect for crafting. Um, something you kind of suss out over time, but um, that was that was kind of my initial gripe. But once I got past that and kind of identifying stuff. Um, I really liked that. Oh, you're building out your base. You're getting new tools. You're building fins. You're you you know you're building out a, a like I said the hot knife so that you can cook stuff on the go. Things like that. That loop I found really compelling and and, and a lot of fun. There's a mark on the texture of a particular light rock that looks just like the limestone resource. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so you go straight to it and you're like, oh, that's not the one. Yeah, you just you, it's one <laughs> it's of those it's kinda it's thing. almost like a point and click adventure pixel hunt type thing. You just <laughs> I drag my cursor over it and hoping that I see the little uh the mouse click yeah. uh, icon come up. I found myself getting kind of frustrated by the inventory management, um kind of as the major yeah, absolutely. sticking point for me throughout because you have a very small and very limited inventory space. And at the beginning of these types of games when there's resources, I don't necessarily have the uh, experiential background to know kind of what they all do and what they all mean and everything. Like I just kind of go out, I venture into the world, I see what I can pick up, and I just kind of like load my pockets full of stuff. And uh, you know, in, in a game like uh, like Elden Ring, where I, I was have just going to bring that up, <laughs> unlimited inventory space, then. You know, it's useful because I can eventually use all of those things that I pick up for crafting down the line. You know, it's kind of a delayed gratification, perhaps. But um, but in Subnautica, you have such limited inventory space that you really have to be like objective driven in what you pick up. And, you know, there are things that you'll pick up that feel rare, that take up a lot of inventory space that aren't going to be useful for the majority of the game or like halfway through the game, like the alien eggs take up, take up a lot of space. They feel difficult to obtain. And you're kind of left with that. Like, do I trash it? Do I keep it for some reason? And then even, you know, when you go back to the ship, you get a little bit of additional um, space in its onboard uh, containment. But even that is, is still pretty small compared to all the stuff that you could be picking up along the way. And, you know, there's kind of multiple tiers of certain um, materials. There's the kind of like raw material. There's the uh, like a like a crafted version of it, like, a, you know, the, the tubes versus just the raw or sometimes you can make like ingots or something like that. I, I don't remember offhand, but um, but, you know, you kind of you never know what you're going to need for that next level of 
upgrade on things. And, um, and so like my inventory solution was really just to create a bunch of those like floating chests and just scatter them all around my, uh, my ship, which was just like a frustrating experience as well in like, if I had to, if I needed a particular resource for crafting something, I'd have to exit my ship. I'd have to go around to all of the, you know, different treasure chests that I had like set up outside and look into each one of them individually and find the resources that I need. And if I don't have room in my pockets to carry it with me, then I'd have to, you know, dump something onto the seafloor. And, um, and, you know, just the fact that like, there's no like destroy from your inventory button. Like you have to, if you're using your in life pod, um, fabricator, you'd have to exit the life pod dump off what you don't need and then come back to make room in your in your inventory um it's just like a lot of those little tiny things where it's like if the fabricator could fabricate based on things that i had in chests or whatever that would be immensely useful even just the onboard ship storage like the fact that it can't pull from there to fabricate objects i just found to be a bit of a headache and like it kind of for a game that is all about that is all about exploration. It kind of discouraged me from engaging with a lot of the natural resources. It made me kind of in my mind streamline, you know, what do I need and what don't I need? And it led to some of those situations like going deep into an alien base and realizing you don't have enough, you know, purple tablets like we mentioned earlier oh, and having to go all the, the way back. The, 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 John, I, I will, I will, I would like to, to say something and then throw to you sure. because there's there's so much i played this game so fast and it, my the second half of my playthrough pre elden ring coming out was was in a quite a panic but actually the first half of my playthrough was relatively that early game bit was quite leisurely and i quite i don't know on the one hand the early game i went in completely blind because i th- i thought from what i'd heard about the game that's kind of where the fun was early game is like feeling that fear of not knowing anything and a lot of the futzing, you know, around with um, with inventory manage, I kind of management. I was kind of expecting it, and on the one hand, it's like, okay, you are wasting my time here, like going into the pod, going out again, building all the things. I like Ryan. I think pretty much anyone who has any kind of problem solving brain builds a bunch of submersible yeah, lockers. We talked about that before. That's just like, you know. And, and, you I know, had if a you field to, of just lockers just below yeah, exactly. my pod. <laughs> and if you, you know, whether you can, uh, how organized you are is whether you can be bothered to name them or not. Yeah. Or just like higgledy piggledy <laughs> or not. And then like that kind of, you know, there's no puzzles in the game really, but there's problems to solve, aren't there? Like to get to the first Degassi base in the in the sort of shallower jelly shroom cave, I bu- built a bunch of the pipes to build the air pipe down, but you can't find the end of the air pipe very easily. So you build a beacon at the end of the air pipe, which will get you 100 meters down, but you don't have the rebreather at that point. So you have to be quite quick and then get back to the beacon and get some air. So like I was quite enjoying some of the early problem solving some of the early problems in really awkward ways with kind of what was available to me in the trek tree at, uh, at the time but it was awkward and it was I, I probably wasted a lot of you know the kind of time that john on his second playthrough was just you know was just absolutely blasting past some of these problems altogether um 
And I just wonder if crafting wise, they couldn't have just got like like with The Witcher 3 when they went back and changed a lot of the item management after launch. Now, OK, The Witcher 3 is a giant AAA game with huge resources and budget and whatever to throw devs at the problem. But to just go through and put a few quality of life things like the fabricator being able to access any lockers inside your own base to just tell the tell you that you've got 40 titanium you know three yeah. rubies and whatever and just say okay we well, so you, to, to make you go back through every single locker because what it's realistic well there's 50 other things in this base this thing that aren't realistic so why did you choose one of the most time consuming and annoying things to suddenly make your standards like, okay we're going to make this bit of the game realistic and we're going to make you agonizingly go back and forth from your cyclops to the base through the moon pool go to the mod base back to the thing check the ingredients get your google sheets out okay what do i need for this okay wiring kit okay what goes into a wiring kit okay no i need silver ore have i got silver ore no i need one silver ore okay go to the scanner put the sandstone yeah, thing exactly. on. right find one sandstone oh i got a gold instead of a silver okay find another sandstone do you, do you know what i mean so like there's so many quality of life things. And here's John where I throw to you. It's like how many of these um, and you don't I don't want you to talk too much about below zero here, but did they at least solve some of these things quality of life wise straight away in below zero? Uh, which which for I'm... listeners is the DL sequel, this kind of third of the size sequel um that they released um this year i believe uh it was about a year ago so it's like three years okay. after the original but again i think it was in early access for a while um i'm gonna say not very much there are a few things that i remember specifically from below zero that might have been addressed as people not liking from the original one of the big things that actually really pissed me off when i started replaying this uh was there's a an option, uh, you know, menu option in Below Zero to have the time pause when you pull up your data pad. And I didn't, I hadn't remembered that that wasn't in the original game. And that is actually quite a, what I think of as a glaring omission from the original now, where you can, you can go and read all of these um, little bits of lore and flavor text and often very important information that comes through from, uh, uh, picking up uh, data pads and stuff that are scattered around the world, but you also <laughs> you're going to start losing your um, your hunger meter and your your food meter and stuff are going to go down while you're reading this this like data log thing, which is kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think the like it's not it's not like an excuse for why the game is is the way it is, but I think that. The stuff that you're talking about, like having to get stuff into your inventory and not being able to craft stuff or fabricate stuff quite as easily as you might want to, I think that's kind of just how these survivally crafty games work. Like I had, I've played a few others that are a little bit like this. Like the the big one is probably Ark Survival Evolved, and if you want to complain about like clunky inventory <laughs> systems and stuff. Subnautica is like miles ahead of where they've ended up with with something like that. So I think that that's kind of just how these games are designed. And there's obviously like a very specific niche audience that does really enjoy like the uh, the kind of the organizational elements mm. of this. And I had so I've played this twice, and I had two quite different styles of playthrough. So like I said before, the first time I played it properly. 
I didn't really know anything about it. And I mean, the game is also kind of split up into multiple phases. There's like a bit at the beginning where you don't have very much to do. So you're kind of just swimming around, seeing what you can pick up and what it might do. Then it starts prodding you towards some more story elements. And then that kind of gets intermixed with, well, we we need to do this story stuff, but also at the same time to do this story stuff, you have to build these various things so that you're able to get there. And then the game kind of like heavily loads a load of story stuff into like maybe the fourth fifth of it or the fifth sixth of it. And then the, the very final again is just like, well, I hope you, I hope you bought plenty of titanium because you're going to need a lot of it for this very final piece that you need to do now. So I had like the, the first time I played it, I did kind of have this sort of leisurely, like lazy experience of just kind of swimming around and seeing what was what and like gradually exploring things. And I, I really enjoyed doing that when I had that, like the, the time period that suited it and like the frame of mind of it. And I just kind of wanted to escape and just mess about in, in like some pretty looking ocean and, you know, find some titanium and stuff. And that was cool. And that, that plays into a little bit like my, my, um, compulsive style brain where it was like, Oh, okay. You know, I've got far too much stuff here. So what am I going to do? Make like a really, really basic base. That's just a, a tube like a tube and a hatch and then maybe another tube at the end and or i can make a locker really easily like a big locker so i'm going to make like six lockers just in this tube that's not powered it doesn't do anything (laughs) and then i know that because i'm you know my brain works like this this locker at the end is just where i'm going to dump all my titanium then the next locker along is going to be slightly more rare bits then the next locker is going to be like the things that you make out of other things so that's where i'm going to put like the lubricants and the um like the wiring kits and the copper wire and the batteries and things and then as it went along like as the game goes on it's like well this next one is just for like alien eggs and this next one is mm. just for food and water and health kits and the next one is just for items that you get from the very deep areas and it just kind of goes along until I've got like yeah. a circular room. Like the the most important thing for me for this game, I think for base building and stuff, was just the multifunction room, which is just a big circular room. And there yeah. are multiple things that you can put in the middle of it. So you can have like your um your big alien uh aquarium thing that you can put the the creature eggs into and then they they slowly hatch. Or you can put your um like your bio reactor that you load up with seaweed and that's what gives you the power for the base or like your nuclear reactor or you can put your water purification module into the middle so you've got this like my base in the multiple times i've played this and below zero which is quite similar in a lot of ways my base ends up just being like a tube then a multifunction room with something in the middle that's like dead important and then lockers around the outside and like a fabricator and a radio and a health kit manufacturing thing and then a tube and then another multifunction room and then a tube so they kind of just look like a string of beads with tubes in between them yeah like that that solves the the problem for me of like i i kind of just have to remember what i'm doing but yeah in the same way that you also might have to remember you know where you're you know, in your entertainment center, like where your Switch <laughs> games are compared to where your Blu-ray yeah. desks are. We don't have to stop talking about crafting necessarily, but I would like to read a couple of pieces of feedback and then seek a little bit into vehicles and movement. Um, and we can keep crafting kind of running throughout the rest of the conversation. 
Uh, for, uh, feedback from Patreon Garrison Savannah again. Uh, the crafting is satisfying and fun. It's intertwined well with the progression, almost in a Metroid Metroidvania kind of way. There's always a piece of technology that will allow you to progress to a deeper area and allow you to get new materials that in turn give you new technology. I do agree with the criticism that sometimes what you need to make next or where to find materials you need can be a bit difficult to figure out, but I never really experienced this as I played through from early access, so I had a gradual process of learning where everything was. And Carl the Frog from the forum says, I played Subnautica right around the time it came out of early access on PC. The pitch of an underwater exploration game with survival and crafting elements really floated my boat, boomtish. That this was before crafting in games had been overplayed. I love the terror and curiosity the ocean inspires and a game built on this seemed to be a perfect match for me. One of the things that made the game stand out was the non-procedurally generated map. For a crafting game, this was unexpected. But it's the UI that's the true monster here and the clunky menu system had me drifting away from Subnautica. Every time I had to craft something in the fabricator, fabricator I got lost. Four rows of buttons, each open two more rows of buttons, which then open n number of buttons, one of which will be the button you need to press to figure out which ingredients you need for a recipe in some other combination of buttons. Yeah, um, how do people feel about those nested kind of ingredients within ingredients? It would be more manageable if you could like pin the uh, pin the recipes that you need so that they're more accessible rather than having to like write them down in another window or I, I just find the memory task to be a little bit much. <laughs> I think that was another thing that below zero adds. You can pin something in the blueprints menu and it like pops up on the top left corner of your screen or whatever, what the recipe for such and such is. So yeah, that is a quality of life thing that they did end up addressing. Yeah. It's in those moments where I find myself <clears throat> losing that initial loop where that I really liked. Uh, specifically remember an instance, I can't even remember what I was trying to, to craft, maybe part of my Cyclops, where I went down and I thought I needed silver, that's what I read, that's what my brain did, and then I uh, got back and turns out I needed nickel instead of silver. I was like, God, you know, and then I had just done this whole expedition to get nothing but silver ore, and then you have to go back down and do that thing again, just because I, you know, my memory was bad, which is fine, that can happen from time to time, that's on me. But I felt like those moments kept coming again and again and again. The later I got into the game, it's like, wait, what do I need for this thing? Wait, how do I make that? And it's just like when you're going in four or five layers deep on these ingredients, these craftable in these ingredients you can only get from crafting that you then use to craft new another thing that you then use to craft new another thing like that. That weird pyramid there becomes very muddy. So if they fix that in blow zero, that's a that's a good step forward for sure. I think we should briefly talk about um vehicles we have talked about quite a few of them but just let's talk about um we talked about a bit, bit about base building in terms of gameplay whilst we're still there before we go into story com- progression and completion um let's just let's just camp a little bit out on vehicles and movement and gameplay and like how how do we feel the game feels the seamoth itself i thought was was great um uh like you said it feels great to to drive around it really opens up your um kind of your expedition size the radius to which you can get out and see new things so i thought that was great and so i was like eagerly anticipating finishing the cyclops because i thought oh it's going to do that again right now i'm going to have the sub and now i'm going to get to go even farther and do the next thing and then i got the cyclops started driving and i was like 
oh, this is not uh, <laughs> this is not exactly what I had hoped for. I don't know what I was expecting though, because obviously you're building this giant sub. But when you get to that point where your your floating fabricator starts building it and you start taking in the actual size of it, I just yeah. I guess I didn't really know quite what I was getting myself <laughs> into. I'm like, oh my god, like. Like when it starts doing those blue little grid lines, really nice visual effects on all that stuff. Like these, you know, mm. in in world 3D printing with these blue lasers, it all looks very pretty and crisp and clean. And of course, your Cyclops comes out and all that that shiny metal, everything looks cool. But then you see the size of it and it plops in the water. I'm just like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? You know, like it was um, <laughs> it was a moment there where I was just kind of like, oh. And then when you start controlling it, it's like. Well, in my mind, I was like, oh, so this is just more of the vessel that I'm going to get down farther to then use my prawn suit. I get it. But from that point on, both from a locomotion and a story standpoint, which we'll talk about in a bit, that's where I started to be less enthused about playing the actual game, you know? To to the game's credit, to the developer's credit, they nailed the sense of scale. And that's something, the size of the Cyclops and the way it plops into the water and the size of the Aurora um on the horizon and it is absolutely vast and the size of the creek the 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 scale of the game both the map and these these vehicles and how they kind of escalate it i think is to be applauded um even if you know it did saddle them with some some real technical <laughs> troubles but uh i think um, it's we should um we should crack on i think with the story uh, we've already we've already talked quite a lot about this, but story progression and completion, um, story in terms of the actual storyline progression. We talked quite a lot about um, about climbing the tech tree. We should talk a bit about how we find the data pods and and read the story and get scan things and like how that pulls you through, and how that might be a bit wonky for different people. And then we've talked a bit about also already how you actually complete the game and kind of get there. So all of those things wrapped together um, just to to start like the the, you are Riley Robinson, uh, an unvoiced. uh, We assume the sole survivor of the uh, Aurora, which is shot down by the quarantine enforcement platform while attempting to perform a slingshot maneuver uh, in the atmosphere of planet Four five four six B. Your ship is owned by the Altera Corporation. You uh, uh, all the life pods flew off, and everybody died. Um, and before you, there was a ship called the Degassi. Um, everybody died. And before that, there were some aliens, the precursor aliens, because there's always precursor aliens. Everybody died, and there was some bacteria. And uh, yeah, how did you guys find? the story and how it's kind of laid throughout the game. I thought the, I thought the general narrative was pretty good and pretty compelling. Honestly, um, I was interested in what was happened to the crew. Obviously, I think my interest in the story really ramped up um, after the rescue ship attempted to rescue you and it got shot down. And I was on that, uh, the, one of the many, one of the couple land sections there. And I found a, a base above the water and started reading about the Degasi crew um, I thought all of that was was pretty well done. It was compelling. It, it reminded me a lot of the television show Lost at the beginning, um, where you're just kind of like, you know, the whole, the <clears throat> the now memeable where are we quotes from Don and Nick Monaghan, just kind of like, like there's clearly a lot of st- stuff going on I don't understand, but I'm interested in the journey. And then once I kind of figured everything out and figured out about the the 
the cure for the disease and I'm not going to be able to launch my rocket till I cure the disease. So I've got to cure the disease and then I got to build the rocket in order to get off of here. Once I kind of had all those reveals, I felt pretty good and like, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty on board with all the story. And then came the part of actually accomplishing those tasks is where I fell off because I felt like the game kind of throws all the story. Here's what happens. Here's what you need to do. And this is how you get out of here. And then you just have to go set about doing all of those things, and that's where I kind of felt that compelling, the, the mystery of finding out what happened next, or where does this go, or uh, what the, what does this base do. Once all once all the curtain had been kind of drawn, I, I found myself less than, like, I kind of already knew everything. Oh, okay, I gotta cure the disease and get off of here. Great. I, do I still have to cure the disease and get out of here? Like, that's kind of the way I felt about it. it, it it's a very It's a very gentle story, which I appreciate the most. You know, in these types of survival games um i think they i think they get a bad of a a bit of a bad rap for being a little bit too make your own fun rather than like kind of follow a progressive um you know a, a through line from beginning to the end and um but on the other hand i think if the story was any more in your face and any more um I don't want to say handholdy, but more kind of like guiding you along this kind of narrow path to the end, then it would start to feel kind of intrusive upon the survival elements of the game. And so, you know, I think it, it, it is in this really tight balance. And uh, I think it threads that needle well of being present enough to give context to all your actions and to give you a little bit of a sense of urgency every once in a while when it feels that it needs it. Um, but uh, loose enough to where you know you don't feel like you're being told all of the answers. You're still having to do a lot of the detective work for yourself and to kind of discover why things are the way that they are. You know, a few kind of implications along the way that it doesn't um, doesn't spell out a hundred percent that uh, require you to kind of use some context clues to piece together. You know what's really going on. So you know, I, I think. For for what it is, um, and especially you know within this genre, I think it um, it does a pretty elegant job of of not being overbearing while still giving you more of a thrust than most games in the genre do. Yeah, I think the best thing about it to begin with is the backseat it takes. To be honest, I but then again, I was rushing. And because the game doesn't pause when you look at your data pad, I just didn't feel like I had the time to to read this stuff. And it's different from a game like Outer Wilds, which I won't spoil, but whose story I came to like a lot more um, because it was, for me, better written and more interesting. Per on a personal level, I found the themes more interesting. But... Um, that didn't matter because I don't think uh, I didn't mind the story of Subnautica and it didn't it didn't like negatively impact the game for me. I did think it was cool that with the, the countdown timers I thought were cool, like the radio broadcasts I thought were cool. The problem for me came of the, the pacing of the, the doling out of the story. Mm. And this is a, like a personal thing. I the radio broadcasts for me like stopped for like 10 hours of playthrough because I just wasn't going deep enough um, or triggering the right things. Um, 
And this might have been around when I took a break to go and play a different game uh, or was just busy. And I just, it, things got a bit aimless for me. And because the radio broadcasts weren't coming in, I hadn't, I sort of read the data pads, but I hadn't maybe absorbed the most important details because I was like trying to efficiently sift them for like, okay, is there somewhere specific I'm supposed to go next? I was being very ruthless about it and I wasn't necessarily really sifting the text for kind of flavour and enjoying the flavour because every time I open the data pad, oh, okay, I've got to go and get some more bladder fish to get some more water because I hadn't yet got the more efficient water system, etc, etc. So I think there's a point in the game where an impatient person or a person trying to play for a deadline or tick it off their list of games is going to find it quite frustrating and... um and yeah, a mixture between aimless and just, yeah, just not pulling you forward enough. Um, I found the Degassi crew quite, the the, the storyline quite rote and quite cheesy and a bit um, stereotypical. And I honestly didn't press play on the audio logs after the first few because I, I thought the, um, the voice acting was very... Um, by the numbers like people saying each other's first names very clearly to make sure you knew exactly who was speaking and, and that kind of thing and i thought that there was no they they didn't feel at all authentic to me <laughs> uh, um, hi but, rebecca it's david just david yeah, reaching yeah, yeah. out to rebecca <laughs> just to make sure that exactly. rebecca heard that david <laughs> yeah that, with really strong yeah. differentiated accents it didn't feel yeah. at all natural like those people had been here for 10 years I, or whatever i kind of started to parse them out that like if i picked up a data pad and it gave me a blueprint i'd read it if I picked up a data pad that didn't give me a new location or a blueprint, I kind of just, like, I'd read some of them here or there, depending on what I was doing. Um, but I picked it up and it gave me something either like a, it says, hey, the location's now, you know, on your map or um, yeah. or whatever. I'd read it there. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't delve, uh, dive too far into that. Um, yeah, I think, I think this, it, because I was rushing, I think Rex, Re- exploration and Rex became very transactional. Like you turn up at a place and you're like, okay, what is here? Is this an important one or is it not? Is there something to scan here that I want or is there not? Do I have to cut open a door? Is there going to be a data pad? Is there going what is here for me or can I bounce? You know, and um and unfortunately I think I might have spoiled myself, you know, in part of the experience or maybe maybe the the game was just respecting my time in terms of the story with like not putting too much important information you know the story not being too over the top and sort of forcing itself down my throat or, or whatever so you know there was some good writing in there that you know stuff with the aurora is quite was interesting aurora crew and stuff like that so i didn't like altogether hate it i found the pacing of it to be um you know other than those kind of moments that you mentioned where you haven't triggered the correct whatever flag in the gameplay to get it to progress like i i I like that most of the updates came through these kind of archive transmissions that you pick up when you're back in your crash pod because you know those are the moments in the game where you kind of have like a little bit less going on already you know you're going to spend a little bit of time cataloging some of the resources that you gathered maybe dumping them into the um into the onboard storage maybe you'll be fabricating a new uh, health kit maybe you'll be working with your fabricator and and so it's kind of nice to have like the radio broadcast of the the latest um story happenings kind of playing in the background you absorbing this information while you're doing the busy work and the fact that you know it always kind of hits 
in those moments where you come back to the pod, um, it gives a sense that time is continuing to move while you are out exploring. And, you know, obviously while you're exploring, it's kind of like high tension, high risk time when you're really kind of focused in. And then these natural lulls of returning to the surface, of going back to your safe space are um, the time when it you know, spends more time kind of getting into the story. And uh, it just feels like a very kind of natural balance to the uh, to the game's like structure in a way. It, it did feel like that until the point that they stopped coming. That's the problem. Yeah. Just a bit, piece of fe- forum feedback uh, from Mr. Ixalar. <clears throat> I found this word aimless quite interesting here. So he says, despite knowing very little about Subnautica, fearing the deep sea tremendously and being uh, new to survival games, I rented it in anticipation uh, of this issue to throw myself into the deep end. As I began splashing confusedly around the ocean, I came across some sea cow looking aliens and was promptly killed by their exploding poop. I poked around some caves and was killed by an exploding pufferfish thing. I was plunged into the terrifying darkness of night and scrambled back into my escape pod, waiting out the time to sunrise. After swimming around aimlessly for a while, I found myself googling, what do you do in Subnautica? And is there a goal in Subnautica? After being shocked at seeing pictures of huge player-made underwater bases, I started uh, restarted the game in peaceful mode and set off to collect materials. As I picked up resources, I experienced the excitement of gradually improving my gear, but after a few hours, I was still poking around the starting shallows with no more base to show for it. My brief time with Subnautica uh, before returning to uh, it to the library was certainly stimulating in a way I'm not used to, but maybe it's just as well that I'm having to take a, a break for a while. At least I got to dip my toes in. Um, feedback from Patreon, uh, Kieran DC. I spent hours and hours in the shallows and mid-depths, exploring and finding new tech, slowly building my capabilities until I could b- build a deep-sea uh, submarine. I prepped for a long journey into the depths and got ready to play the end game. That blissful mid-game period lasted until I piloted the submarine over the drop-off, got attacked by a leviathan and ran away terrified. I spent the next 10 hours building a bigger and better locations in in the tropical shallows. I never plan on going deeper again, and I'm fine with that. That, That's the type of feedback right there from Karen DC, and thanks for sharing that. I love that, because that's where I feel this game, for me personally, was at its best part. I mean, where it had its most enjoyable moments where you know they went over over the edge with the submarine and got attacked by a leviathan and they just said you know what i just am cool chilling in the ocean and building my base <laughs> yeah, yeah but I, just there in the shallows forever. yeah and i think that's rad i mean that's the coolest thing about this game that i think um like the product like like me and i was talking about this in the green room too with you guys it's like my i am whatever is in my genetic code is designed to finish games i want to start them and i want to finish them i want to see credits i want to put it on a list and mm. check the box that's just the way same i'm built here. same yeah here. but this is absolutely a game that you could you could never care at all about the story stuff i mean i'm sure you'd engage with some of it just cuz you want to unlock some of the tools but the creation suite is robust enough and the and the and the uh the activities on offer are robust enough to that you could really just make a survival game with it and i think that's really neat and i i, I see a lot of people who have that experience like oh look at my this is a this is my you know 50 room base that that starts at you know 20 meters below and goes down to 300 <laughs> meters below and it's all tubed out and i think that's so cool but for me i was just so focused on well i need to build the rocket and escape off the planet and i'm kind of 
envious of the people who just play like, like why would i get off this planet i can just build cool stuff here like you know like i yeah. i love that mentality um and i i can i kind of go back and forth on it but like those moments that karen is expl- explaining at the end of that post those are those moments that i want to like when i think about this game fondly that's what i'm thinking of are those moments yeah let's go on to um, talk about the way this game looks and the things you can see in it. Um, biomes. Oh, gosh, that word. I've never heard a word used so many times uh, in this game. I know people talk about it a lot in Terraria. Let's have a piece of feedback, though, to to just kick us off. Um, feedback from Patreon Garrison Savannah. I played Subnautica for nearly 300 hours from fairly near the start of early access to a couple of completions post-release. The environment provides a great atmosphere, getting more oppressive and tense the deeper you go. Once you come out of the safe shallows, the feeling of not knowing how much water is beneath between you and the seafloor makes me feel so uneasy. The environment also does a great job of storytelling. The damaged research facility with the sea dragon leviathan skeleton outside of it, knowing how the Kara was released. The reaper leviathan skeletons in the inactive lava zone showing that something worse lives here that eats them. The destruction of the sunbeam confirming the fate of the aurora are just some examples. And some feedback from Carl DeFrog from the forum. Once I learned the map is finite, I swam as far as I could in one direction to see what happens at the edge. Oh, you don't want There's... to do that. <laughs> There's still... I did that. <laughs> There's still an invisible wall, uh, but it's far enough away from the continental shelf that you lose any perspective of your movement and the illusion that you're still swimming is maintained. A nice solution to the classic problem. Also, to deter players, are ghost leviathans patrolling the endless void. Uh, void. The joy of discovery is one of my biggest motivators in games and subnautica fires on all cylinders. Uh, every time I encountered a new biome, I felt a rush of excitement. The world feels alien yet believable and the ecosystems feel carefully thought out. I am a scanner in games like this and I enjoy reading the bios of the creatures found while exploring. The game fully embrace, embraces players like me. Um, and I guess, guys, we should throw in here uh, uh, sort of lighting, day-night cycle, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, John, how do you, you've spent, you know, probably the most time chilling in the depths. How do you feel about the, the biomes and how things look? I think somebody mentioned before, the game does like an extremely good, um, a good job of like putting a, a really uh, strong first impression in your mind of when you pop out of the uh the little crash pod for the first time and i think there's as you climb out of the top of it there's like some birds that have landed on the on the little thing on the roof and you come out and it's at that point it's daytime and you can see the crash ship but it hasn't like exploded yet and um you're in a very nice tropical sort of area with this large coral and very pretty colorful fish and everything and as you sort of dive into this this water it's it's almost like uh, sort of a tropical holiday at that point and i think there's sort of a cartoony element to everything like a slightly less realistic uh vision of everything but the i think it's i don't know how how best to describe it but i think that the way that the game progresses the the kind of order that you would normally see the biomes especially as you go deeper and come across the the different sort of more outlandish things as you go deeper and deeper and further away from your base i think it it like almost the progression of the graphics works in a similar sort of way that the progression of the story does 
um all the way down to the 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 sort of the very base end of the game where where you're more than a kilometer below the surface in a like an active volcano area with these huge creatures that are very hostile swimming around like it 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 continues to be um oh what's it was an appropriate word it, it, like everything is kind of um awe-inspiring as as you come up to it and although the game doesn't really do that very obvious like hey look at this set piece thing that certain games will do like i think it was possibly one of the mass effects or something that literally just had a button that you pressed and it would like focus in on something that was maybe not in your line of sight at the time like there are a lot of things that if you're in the right place at the right time looking at something or as you just sort of are moving through something that pops into your field of view there's a lot of that that is probably as kind of like take your breath away moments as i've had in near enough anything else that i've played like this that the the <laughs> although there's also a lot of put things in your pants moments because i found myself not looking at things <laughs> a lot of the time and sort of deliberately like uh i heard something yeah and just kind of like not looking up and 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 kind of not taking in quite the glory of uh, some of the biomes just feeling very very scared which i guess is a good thing as well you know some of the the the, the areas are very threatening and um in a in a good way and that mm. the distinctness between them i think is a great success of the game like you really know where you're somewhere that that means business i think yeah um, it, it is a shame we will get onto the technical poor performance of course we can talk a little bit about the this here i think the the pop-in we can park we can mention it at least here the pop-in does such a terrible disservice to the atmosphere of the game and 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 the exact opposite is true of the water like the water effects of the surface of the game are beautiful and the way the light plays through them is is exquisite now it hope it helps that they've chosen a constant weather. You know, you don't really notice that the weather changes. But there's no weather in this game. There's no waves. There's no rain clouds really that come anywhere near you. There's no rain. There's no lightning or anything like that, which is a bit of a shame actually when you really think about it because there's no variety. However, the the, the light does look beautiful when it comes through the top. But then you go through like the kelp forest straight away and you're like, "Wow, are they supposed to pop in like that? And then you go through a mushroom forest. And you're like, this would be really, really cool if if it just looked how it was supposed to. But this technical problem that's still on the PS5, you know, two years after like the 1.0 release and it's still there. I can say that on, on PC, it wasn't as bad. Um, it still existed, but it definitely was better. But it also sounded like, I, I kid you not, that loading screen where it just says Subnautica and the waves are kind of, it's like the water's kind of lapping there. It sounds like my PC is going to take off into the stratosphere when it's there. Cause, I mean, it's doing a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, visually, like you said, Tom and John, both of you, that the, the biome stuff looks really good. And I think everything looks very distinct and very neat. The only part that and even like the manufactured labs stuff that everything looks very sterile and brand new. Like it, it's got a, it's got a nice look to it. I, maybe there's, maybe this is an unsolvable problem when you're tackling the deep ocean, 
but like when it gets some of those bases down farther below like like it's so clear that these are the prefab parts with just some like moss texture and stuff growing on like there's there's areas there where it kind of breaks like has this really been down here under the sea for this long it doesn't you know things like that or like um, yeah or like you know how do we make this hallway look weathered oh we'll just put some of these electric tentacles hanging out from the ceiling you know stuff like that <laughs> um and i'm not begrudging them that i don't know how i would do it it's not like i have a better idea it's just there's a couple parts like that but i think uh, for the majority of it i think the game looks pretty striking and like i mean john yeah. said anytime you come over into a new area or turn a corner into a new thing you do have a lot of those kind of awe-inspiring moments where you just kind of stop and take it all in because it's almost sensory overload we're still kind of as an industry still just kind of getting good at making you know flat spaces you know ground level spaces feel dense and populated with life and with things to do to consider that you have to extend that level of uh, of wildlife and movement and color and uh, density of population and and density of interest points to an entirely three-dimensional space where people can be not only at any point on a horizontal plane, but also on a vertical plane. Um, you know, we see this type of challenge a lot in games that are set underwater, games that are set in outer space, that um, it will end up feeling pretty empty and pretty dead mm -hmm. in a lot of areas. And I think that this game, you know, along with um, some of its spacefaring contemporaries like uh, No Man's Sky and Everspace 2 uh, are, are starting to do a really good job at making a three-dimensional space feel consistently alive like wherever you go, which is really not an easy task. And that's a, that's a brilliant point. And I suppose another thing that should be massively com commended is all of the effects you don't think about, like the bubble effects you know, going into and out of water, the trails coming behind animals, um, things splashing and all of that, all of the piloting your sub through the water, the the tiny bits of flotsam and jetsam in the water that come past at different speeds and all of those effects, light rays through the water at different depths, mm -hmm. all of those things to give you, because of course, as we know, you know, in a, in a game engine, you're just a, the world is, you're just a camera, I, I don't know, are you a fixed point and the world is actually moving up and down or whatever, however the engine works, um, you know, you're not really underwater, but actually this game does such a brilliant job of selling it. And I suspect it's all of those extra animation touches and the movement actually in the gameplay as well, uh, you know, the, the controls and stuff as well, but the, the animation touches to, to do with water and watery things and watery effects and um you just wouldn't think to notice it necessarily but they are very good except when they bug out and you get like the water breathing animation suddenly appears on your screen permanently even when you're walking around your base or the cyclops and it's just stuck there in front of the screen until you completely quit out of the game you, you uh re save and reload the game which of course takes 40 seconds to save the game then you go back to the menu screen, you try and load on PlayStation 5 and it loads to completely black. You're in the game, you can hear everything, but it's completely black. Then the game crashes and so you have to completely quit the whole game and reload completely from scratch, which happens every single time. Then you get back into the game and the little window pops up and says, oh, if you want to leave some feedback, 
um, you can leave it in the whatever window. And I think to myself, this is a, okay, I got this game for free, so fair enough. But I'm not a bug tester. I don't want to report your bugs for you. I'm not an early access player either. That is a, quite a bad and replicable bug. And it feels quite bad to me. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you guys um, chime in on that. It it pulls me back to a, a story that I remember hearing from uh, one of the devs on Outer Wilds. I think it was probably on the Noclip documentary about it, where they specifically mentioned that the kind of the physics of the world are in motion when there's like a camera point near it. So, you know, the, the sand will be switching positions on the Ash Twins if you're sat there looking at it. But as soon as everything moves far enough away, it kind of, you know, desyncs from the game to, uh, you know, allow for, you know, the processor to uh, focus on more important things and more, you know, more uh, local things to you. But they do mention that they uh, they originally wanted to include an achievement into the game where if you leave your ship on one planet and you leave a probe on another planet and then you yourself are on a third planet, the game is trying to uh, generate so many different things all at once that it completely breaks it. And I feel that there's elements of Subnautica where it's a little bit like that. Like there is so much going on that certainly when you do very specific things, you're kind of you're overloading the physics engine or something and it, it, it just sort of falls apart. Like I had the most times that I had like serious game breaking crashes and stuff were either in the um sea moth when I was moving around super, super quickly and stuff is just loading in in front of you, like barely got a chance to load before you're you're smashing into it. Or I think at least the Seamoth and the Cyclops have these um, sonar modules attached to them. And if you're like cutting about in the deep ocean and it's dark and you can't see anything, I assume that's kind of a way that the game is saving memory space because the terrain is there or like the very basic terrain, like the curvature of the the landscape is there, but they don't load in various other things like the plants and the fish and the wrecks and the craftable materials until you get close enough but if you're if you're driving about in a seamoth constantly hitting that sonar button the game is like mapping out everything in front of you and then you do have to start seeing the floating islands and the fish and that was what kept breaking for me was when it was obviously had to load in things that were so far away that you'd never see them with your own eyes but because you're messing about with this sonar module, it has to make sure that they are there. And like, I mean, I, I think that there's enough in the game that is like technically fantastic to like let me sweep it under the rug a little bit. But <laughs> there is also this element where it does feel a little bit like it is built with like lollipop sticks and chewing gum, yeah. and it's like barely holding itself together a lot of the time. Just a uh, just very quick story. Like I put my scanner on for, and it said, oh, I found a data box quite nearby. I was like, oh, I thought I got a data box. Turned up in my CMOF. There's nothing there. And then I crash into something and my CMOF, and I get out of my CMOF and then I get hurt by my CMOF hitting into me. Suddenly a life pod appears. And then it turns out I've already found the data box there. So the scanner's picked it up wrong. 
and and it just and then my CMOS like stuck in it or it gets pushed back by it and that's what hurt me and you know at that point and then with the the fact that I can't load I can't quit out of the game stay in the game and load it back in without it either crashing or loading to black on PS5 it it you know and the the problems with the prawn suit in the final two bases just getting stuck in the floor I had a pretty wonderful bug that my life pod um, at the beginning um, somehow I'm not sure I saved when I was I think it was saving when I came in through the hatch so it it registered as it inside of my pod being underwater um, but it wasn't draining my oxygen which is weird but you I would kind of like floating in it like I like the way you would if you were down in the ocean but every once in a while a bladder fish would just swim in there and be like hey come here guy you know what I mean? I'd pick him <laughs> up and then I'd turn him into water so that was a nice little uh, glitch um, I had a lot of clipping of stuff fish flying you know swimming through the base sometimes every time I got out of my sea moth it still had me registered as underwater despite not having any hull leaks like things like that uh, but I think much like John like is kind of one of those things like if anything added to the charm of it all, you know what I mean? In those sections, in yeah. the sections in the bases where I wanted to get in and out and not have any problems, just being caught up on geometry, uh, feeling like I was maybe getting uh, tagged by an enemy or being like in an area of effect where I felt pretty clearly I was out of said area of effect or like behind a wall or things like that, um, that, uh, that got frustrating. Um, but I, I only had a couple hard crashes, which I know, probably sound like in most games i would be like oh yeah hard crash i mean a few times like from my experience with subnautica i guess that i was in the uh, kind of in the the lucky group that i i didn't have as much of that as a lot of other people did so um, i must have had 15 hard crashes on oh PS5. no kid yeah no i didn't I mean, have I, nothing like that i couldn't i couldn't rec i couldn't even recommend this game on ps5 to anybody because the, the frame rate is great but 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 i shouldn't worry about it every time i save the game i should be able to just load the game back up you know, and um, and it's two. You know, it's it's two years after this version of the game launched. I I thought I was going to be somewhat sort of technically a bit safer four years after the game released one point zero, playing a and and saving to us an SSD as well, take less time than forty seconds to save. So I don't know. I, you know, I appreciate. I I am very impressed by the game. And I had to play it for the show. So, of course, I'm going to go in with, a, I guess, a fairly high tolerance of just wanting to get through it. I don't know where my tolerance level would have been if I wasn't um, playing it for the show. Uh, you know, busy dad, wanting to get through lots of other games. Um, I possibly would have would have quit sooner, actually. You know, just loading bugs like that, like persistent loading bugs like that and, and, and pop in like that. Um, I, I probably would have made me quit the game, you know. So in terms of audio and uh, uh, music and sound design, um, I personally think the sound design is really rather good. Um, excellent, actually, part of the immersion. I think it's probably one of the things that has made people fall in love with the kind of the immersion of the game and alongside the movement of the player character and the lighting and the the feel of being in the being in the water it's one of those essential things really and i think there are some absolutely memorable sound design moments where the little cave monster comes at you or hearing the reef back in the distance um and it can't have been an easy job 
you know, with the way that sound travels through water at different distances and different depths, that must have been just the the most Herculean um, challenge. And also, um, you know, the, the the kind of the music palette they've gone for this very. I know that Solar Fields is a particular artist that they were inspired by this kind of chill electronica um, vibe that they wanted to represent each biome. But uh, then you run into the problem is if you play for a very long time and you keep going back to biome for certain resources, you hear certain pieces of music over and over and again. But uh, how did how did you guys feel about overall about the audio? Uh, you said that the like the sound design specifically, not so much the music, but the the sound effects, the the creature noises, the the sort of the creaking of the the metal bass and the um the way that your PDA like assistant AI thing talks to you and chimes in and I think it it does a huge huge amount for the world building. I mean, very specifically the that that feeling of like sinking into an unknown black sea and you can't see anything but you know it's deep but you can hear weird noises that you've never heard before and that that kind of like spookiness of um there's a lot of creatures that sound like they're going to be quite hostile when you're just hearing their sort of grunts and groans and like teeth gnashing noises and stuff and then you've got some other like emissions like the the stalkers which are these kind of dog dragon snake things that you find immediately in the shallows that are all around your base early on like there's there's bits of them where sometimes they'll be swimming around and they'll suddenly like make this like growling noise and come head head first at you but the other thing that they do is they follow you silently into caves and stuff and have a habit Mm. of uh you turn around and there's this thing like this big teeth right in front of you that's followed you into a little dead end so i think that the um the use and the the emission of some of the sound effects is is really elegantly done and absolutely plays up to the atmosphere and the 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 sort of the terror and the the unknown like what are these noises that sound horrific and then as you mentioned before like the reef backs it's like if you were in the ocean and you heard like distant sort of whale song or something you'd be like oh my god what is the the huge thing that can make a noise like that that i can't even see and then the kind of the reveal of it like that it works really really well i think it plays into the um like the just the the general atmosphere of the game as much as any other aspect of it does the reef back sound is an interesting one because you go through a real transformation like when i first heard it i was like Whoa, i'm not going over there like it was the the real the fear it communi- the fear it triggered in me was was quite intense like I kind of knew that like at some point in the game I'm going to feel more confident and I'm going to I'm going to be able to go over there and find out what that is and probably not going to be that afraid um and they're probably not going to put something that fearsome that near the start but um just the way it echoes across to the safe shallows is very very cool and then later on as I say I think if you go um Gosh, I'm trying to think what direction it is. Is it like south? If you go close to the aurora, one of the ends of the aurora, if you go one side, it's you go towards a reaper and the other side, you, you go to a reef back. And it's kind of, it's one of the shames of the game that, that, that you couldn't make animals interact too much. I know that, that at one point that they were thinking about 
that might have been a design thing, but it was kind of too difficult or not an avenue that they ended up going down. But the idea that a reef back is safety, you know, if you go into a reef back zone, that is safety. So if you hear that sound, you're going in that direction. But if you hear the reaper sound, you you know, you you potentially you're in trouble. And um, I think people who spend a lot of time in the Cyclops uh, or, or even I was just going around for some lithium uh, in my Seamoth. I must have gone quite far towards, I think, the base of the mountains, maybe the base of the kind of the the um, big laser gun island or whatever. And got into a reaper zone and I heard the reaper noise and I was like, oh, he's probably not that close. And I heard it again. I was like, I'm going to get some lithium. I'm going to get out of here. And then too late is kind of like on top of me. And I think the the sound is a really useful tool in this game, actually. Um, Sometimes until it's too late. So I guess it's not that useful. But uh, the use is like you hear the sound and it's like, run. Or you hear the sound and you think, oh, okay, I'm in a safer area now. Um, and that is good as a, as a cone of safety around the reef backs, for instance. Um, or you know if you're in the red grass area and you hear the... what What's the name of the, the guys that hide? The ones in the tunnels, those guys? No, they're the sand Oh, the shark sharks? things. Yeah, sand yeah, yeah. Sharks, yeah. I think they're, um, they make quite a distinctive sound and they can really muck you up earlier on in the game as well so um they've got a quite distinct sound and i think even down to the sound of just getting into the water out of your base is quite very satisfying so i think um sort of where it counts the game really really nails it um and yes john like you mentioned i realized we we didn't mention particularly about characters in the game because there aren't that many there's the the sea dragon the sea emperor leviathan so john i'm interested uh, with Below Zero, this uh, DL sequel, this kind of a th- about the third of the size of the map or something with these quality of life things. Do you want to just explain a little bit without maybe spoiling the actual game itself, maybe explain a little bit what they might have changed or improved in terms of bugginess and things like that? So, yeah, I th- I'm not sure about the exact development history for Below Zero, but I know that it came out in like version one, uh, I want to say April, May 2021. So it's a good few years after the the original version one of the game. I assume it's probably been in early access for a couple of years before that as well. But yeah, it's, it, it is billed as a sequel. Um, and in a lot of ways, it, it is a separate game, but it's very clearly built on the same engine with a huge amount of the same uh, tech behind it and the same kind of basic premise. Like you play a different character. There's a, um, a completely separate storyline that I won't really go into at all. Um, but it, it's, I, I believe it follows on from the original Subnautica like sometime later on, but doesn't really have too much of a bearing on it. You're a different character with different motivations, but it kind of ends up leading into the same spot. Like you crash land on a planet, you find a life pod, you have to do some crafting, you have to do some base building. There's an alien precursor race that you get roped up in. Um, the so a lot of it is very similar a lot of the creatures in it are the same um or at least a lot of the the kind of the basic fish and stuff in it are the same but the the big difference is uh or one of the big differences is because it's um uh the subtitle of the game obviously is below zero so it's kind of set on the a very similar planet to the one from the original game but at the same time 
it is in sort of Arctic conditions. So there's a lot of biomes that are um, much more sort of deep, icebergy ocean. And you also have uh, a lot more of the game is actually set on land rather than completely in the water. There's now, various bases and things that are directly on land. John, does and it have a third gauge for temperature? Much it like does your... ha- It does have a temperature gauge yeah, when okay. you're out of the water. So you're not just you know cutting about on the land without any um any extra uh threat level there is a, a temperature gauge and of course you can you know make you craft yourself like woolly clothing and stuff like arctic clothing to get around it and you can eat there are like what look like um chili peppers growing all over on the on the surface that you can eat to raise your heat level slightly bizarrely and you can build like a speeder bike like a snowmobile when you're above land and it comes with sort of above ground bases and things, which is kind of cool. There's there's a bit more of a focus towards like a character driven storyline because you've also got, um, uh, unlike in actual original Subnautica, there is an uh, a separate NPC character that you bump into at various points and can actually have conversations with. So that adds a, an extra level to it. But it is essentially just like crash land on a planet do some crafting, find the alien precursors. They tell you that you need to go a little bit deeper into different bases to find things that you will eventually use to craft a a way off the planet. So yeah, I think my very casual playthrough of the original game was 55, 60 hours. Below Zero was kind of more like half of that with a very similar play style behind it. So it it's it's definitely slighter but it has its its degree of differences that do feel significant I and mean, there's a lot of different creatures and things in it that are that are cool to see there's a lot more the above ground aspect of it leads to quite a few changes that they can make in that um in that same respect so like it's um yeah if if anybody played and really enjoyed subnautica it is basically just more subnautica with a slightly different spin on it so uh, recommended probably as much as the original and as I said because it's a couple of years later there are a few um a few quality of life additions to it. the blueprint thing that we talked about before the pausing the the game when you're looking at the data pad is something they took into consideration and possibly the coolest thing about it is ah, uh, i i'm really hoping that i'm right about this but i believe that they ditch the cyclops completely and they add their their kind of um Oh no! Is it the? Maybe it's, it's a the, bus, isn't it? Is yeah, it like a mod, it's, it's. You can build different. Yeah, I saw a picture yeah. of that. I wasn't sure what it's yeah, called. Yeah, it's it's this thing called the sea truck, which is it's essentially like your sort of floating base, but it comes in separate modules. And it, by the end of it, it does perform all of the same things that the Cyclops does. But you start off with like a cab that is literally just like the sea moth. There may not be sea moths in it as well, for that matter. But I can't remember. There's definitely prawn suits and this sea truck. But you start off with just a little cab. Then you can add like a like a sleeping compartment behind that that has a whole load of um, lockers and things in it. Then you can add an aquarium uh, compartment in it. And then there's one that helps that you can attach the prawn suit to. And by the time you finished it off, it's got like these eight little compartments. And you can kind of disconnect them all from each other. And if you want to just go out just with the like the aquarium behind you, which sucks in fish until it's full as you drive through the different areas 
like just to do some resource collecting and stuff it's it's really cool so yeah i i think that it's probably an upgrade over what they've got in the original game but you know kind of each to each to their own what they what they liked and didn't like about it but yeah i think it's it's worthy do you think um would you recommend it to say a time starved parent who did want the subnautica experience Ooh. it does certainly sound like it's it would have been the one to go for as a tighter tighter experience um, as a completely like don't play the original game play below zero instead yeah possibly like i mean i i'm i'm going to go to bat for the original cuz i do prefer the um like the the more leisurely pace of the storyline and the i think i prefer the the way that the story pans out in it compared to the sequel though there are some absolutely stunning sections in the um in below zero as well but i think it's yeah it 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 will give you potentially the same kind of feeling that the original game does okay cool thank you very much for that um let's probably have uh our three word Reviews, which uh, we normally tweet out on the day of recording. Um, you can follow us at, at Kane and Rince on Twitter. We're going to read in order. Ryan, Brian, John and Tom, it kind of rhymes. Uh, so, yes, please, Ryan, take us away. Chocho Kamocho says actual survival horror. Moonpeer says beautiful, relaxing nightmares. Danbot 2.0 says fear the reaper. Ristray says poor, scary mama. Azure Shakes says the terrifying void. Trades of Jack says has some depth. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So in summary, uh I've put Finn. Just one last pun in there. Um so I think we're gonna go in order of positivity uh ish. Not necessarily completely, uh, but definitely I think we've got to start with John. Um, because yeah, I think, uh, this, this game seems to mean something very special to you. Take us away. Uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely not going to surprise anybody that I think that this game is a, a pretty huge recommendation. Like it was something that I've barely been able to stop thinking about, certainly since I played it 18 months ago and probably all the way back since I saw some of those original YouTube videos, which must now be pushing seven years old um so yeah I, it, it's something that has always kind of fascinated me and really managed to get under my skin and to absolutely i think one of the um uh probably highest bits of praise i could give about the game are i think that playing this has really pushed me to uh want to try and seek out other similar things in in sort of a way that after playing Outer Wilds back when that was new, which is now about three years ago probably, um, I think I really wanted something else that would hit some of the same, uh, like the same peaks and the same feelings as that did. And honestly, it sounds quite hyperbolic, and I think that this might get a bit of disagreement or a bit of pushback, but I do think that Subnautica has probably come closer than anything else to to reaching some of those same feelings for me um yeah i just think that there's there's so much to to really enjoy about um basically every aspect like even if you just kind of just load it up and look at how pretty the shallows is and just swim around for a little bit and pick up some fish and 
you know, pop into the life pod and look at some of the the weird things that you can see on the horizon, but maybe are a little bit apprehensive to go towards. Like it really has just it's so many things going for it that somehow ended up all clicking with me. And I, I really didn't expect when I first started playing it and was kind of familiar with something like how Minecraft worked or a little bit of No Man's Sky, maybe, um, or a completely failed attempt at one point years ago to try and get into Terraria. I think that I didn't expect it to have the the different layers and the different um, like quality between with that balance between the survival elements and the crafting elements and the world building and the audio and the storyline behind it. Like it's it for whatever reason has hit a really good balance for me where all of those things kind of work in um in equilibrium with each other and for a lot of the negatives that we've brought up particularly with the the bugs and the glitches and kind of the uh taped together feeling of some of it i do think that the positives manage to outweigh that pretty strongly and it's a game that probably is extremely widely available now i know for certain it's on game pass i've got a free copy of it on the ps4 and eventually we'll have a ps5 copy of it if i buy a ps5 i'm pretty sure i've got it free through the epics game store at some point like it's frequently very very cheap so if you're at all interested in checking it out even if just for sort of messing about in the opening hour or two of the game i think it's definitely worth worth your attention Thank you. I think we should go to Brian next. So I'm going to bring a little uh, pretension to the podcast um, uh, because uh, the beginning parts of um, Subnautica reminded me of a short story I read a long time ago called Through the Tunnel. It's by a uh, British author. I know not American, unfortunately. It was a British author. But um, Doris Lessing is her name. And it's a story about this kid who sees um, other kids in the neighborhood who do these kind of deep dives off the beach. And and they swim through this tunnel. And at first he can't swim through it. And he tries and fails a few times and then kind of trains himself and is able to swim through the tunnel. Um, Hence the name, Through the Tunnel. Um, It's not exactly a metaphor. Uh, But... The first parts of this game remind me of that because a lot of my early excursions were just kind of testing the limits of what I could do, where I could go, what could I get away with, how far could I go, what's this new thing over here, what does this mean, what does that mean, and bringing it all back to my base and kind of trying to figure it out and suss it out and then head back out into the unknown. And that process of this game, the first two-thirds, I'll say, maybe even more than that, um, I, I can't recommend enough. It was great. I loved it. Couldn't get enough of it, ate it up every night. Um, it's when the the kind of later parts of the game, the story kind of gotten its kind of came to its conclusion. And I just kind of was forced to keep going, keep fetching these items, keeps doing these things in areas that the game by design didn't want me getting to easily, but I felt like the game was pushing back at me a little bit harder than I wanted it to. Um, couple that with some like bug issues. Um, <laughs> um, uh, one particularly annoying thing when, um, you need to make enameled glass and you have to get stalker teeth and you just have to watch those stalkers pick up, metal pieces and drop them and hope a tooth falls out of their mouth and trying to find those and little idiosyncratic stuff that like bothers me um stop me from making this like a full glowing full you know recommendation but even like just john said it's it's relatively easy to come by it's on everything and uh, you've probably gotten it for cheap or for nothing at some point and um 
yeah, to, to, to run the risk of making John angry and making Tom happy, um, you know, you can always test the waters with Subnautica and see how you feel. Hooray. And um, and yeah, I think the, you've got nothing to lose jumping into this game. It's just it's a matter of what what part of any of this game is going to hook you in. Um, for me, it was that initial loop and it fell off at the end. But um, this is definitely not a game where I think it's uh, like the seeing all of it or the getting every story bit is the the most important thing. It's it's a it's a vibe game. It's a game that makes you feel a certain way when you play it. And, and if you if you get something out of games like that, absolutely you should give it a shot. I'm just not sure it's the most complete experience. And I really look forward to see what the team uh, gets up to next. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, Ryan. Yeah, as I mentioned at the top, I'm not really a survival games person. Uh, survival games oftentimes trailer really well, if that's a verb I can use here. Uh, I think about games like Ark Survival Evolved, where you look at the trailers, you look at some of the kind of late in the game YouTube playthroughs, and you just see these incredible you know, feats of, you know, giant bases and people riding dinosaurs around and stuff like that. And you think like, that looks so cool. And then you boot up the game and it's just like the the first, the first hour of a survival game is going to kind of smack you across the jaw and remind you that unless this is your full-time job from now on, you're not going to get to see any of the cool stuff. And I, I was, so I was hesitant coming to Subnautica because of my experience with other survival games. And I found that this one, while I would still say overall, like not for me necessarily, it's more for me than typical of this genre. Um, this game does a good job of making that opening hour kind of innately enjoyable in a way that other survival games almost try to front load the experience of challenge and death because they want to give you something to overcome this one kind of gave you immediate rewards like you're in a beautiful place it's not too threatening right off the bat you know it, it there's plenty of resources for some of those early game crafting uh recipes um and you know that did a good job of kind of hooking me in at the beginning of not pushing me away like i find a lot of games in the genre to do and then it has enough of a uh, gently presented story throughout to always kind of give you something to be curious about, you know, a, a waypoint to work towards or something else on the horizon that'll give you enough breadcrumbs to give you enough direction so that you always kind of know what you have to do next, which I appreciate immensely. I say there's there's a lot of little touches in here that I I'm, I'm really a big fan of. Uh, I think in particular... As you know, when you get your your Seamoth, your first submarine, um, the fact that it and you, your body, deep depths operate on you or penalize you in different ways, I find to be very interesting. So, you know, if you get to a deep enough depth, depth, then the the health of the submarine will start to decrease, whereas you will not take physical damage. You will just um, it's just your oxygen will be penalized and by exiting the submarine you can repair the submarine the submarine's health but by re-entering the submarine it refills your oxygen so there's this nice kind of like balance of these two things that are both being penalized by the depth in opposite ways being able to kind of like counterbalance those penalties and allow you to um 
allow you to kind of go right up to that threshold and then even beyond the threshold uh, if you're willing to get out of the submarine and maybe take a bit of a risk, go up to the submarine to kind of refuel, to kind of set this mobile checkpoint. And, and there's a lot of like little little touches in there that I find to be very interesting and um, and uh, and very nice. Uh, there, you know, there's a few kind of hangups that I have along the way. Um, above ground navigation doesn't feel great. I feel like poison and fire kill you a little bit quicker than you can reasonably react to. Uh, but um, overall, I I found it to be a lot more gentle than this type of game usually is, and to give me more more of a breadcrumb trail. Um, whereas I would typically get lost in a uh, in in a similar game that wasn't as generous with its um with its progression so overall uh i i don't think it's one that i'm necessarily going to return to myself but i'd have a much easier time recommending it to somebody who is wanting the survival experience without dedicating you know dozens of hours before it you know gets good so um overall yeah i i'd say if if this is a genre that you're curious about this is a very friendly and a very beautiful frankly uh starting place um to kind of you know test the waters as it were and to see if this kind of game is for you definitely test the waters um very well said all three of you thank you um yeah i i'm this is a, a an absolutely classic example of why I love being part of the Cane and Rinse crew um, and why I, you know, mark it on the sheet, a game like this, is like I just probably would never have got around to this. I think there was just too much resistance. So I am delighted to have got so close to the end. I probably will beat it, even though Elden Ring is calling me back to it. Um, I d- I'm So I'm very, very happy to have, to have gone as far as I did. Um, I d- not really a survival game person at all. I think it's the I think it's the first one of these I played um, of a like a base buildery type thing. I'm pretty sure it would be a very very mixed recommendation to someone else. Like heavily heavily caveated. Um, I, you know I've already mentioned. I would say to someone. I would say right. Do you want a game where you're prepared to write lots of things down? notes to yourself if not maybe don't play it do you know what type of gamer you are in terms of anxiety and fears or like what what do you like doing in in terms of resource gathering and do you get you know what are your reward you know centers in terms of like climbing the tech tree and the rush of getting a new blueprint and stuff does that kind of stuff drive you onwards rather than a you know a good cutscene with a kind of good character moment that kind of thing um and uh and all the various phobias and stuff like is that stuff gonna really really trigger you or not um so it's a, like a heavier and also what's your tolerance for bugs and technical performance because if you have a fairly low tolerance for it this might not be the game for you because if one star stuff starts clipping through the walls or you you know you you can't that you can't have multiple save games it doesn't save quickly you can't like you can't really feel safe with your save game very often or save it quickly reload quickly if you're playing on ps5 sorry but you, you can't reload quickly it's just going to crash 
the whole game and uh, or, or load to black or something and you're going to wonder whether you've completely mucked your whole 50 hour game or whatever so yeah so there's some very very heavy caveats and big flaws with this as a, even just as a piece of software for me playing on the console on the platform i'm on okay i got it for free and it's very very widely available so i can't knock it too badly as a piece of software as a as a product um but but it's a fascinating game it's a it's a fascinating game and an ambitious thing and yeah even hearing about how they've gone about below zero as a kind of tighter dl sequel i do wonder whether this is the original the larger game maybe the kind of less varnished thing might still be more appealing to kind of subnautica purists and I, and I am glad that i had that blind experience for the very early game and maybe that's where the one's bond to the game is formed is in those early hours of just scrambling around um and and i did play those hours not on a tight deadline um i did play those hours more relaxed and maybe that's where i had the most fun and enjoyment and probably that is where the most fun and enjoyment is to be had is is somewhere in that zone of just learning the game feeling the movement under the water and the atmosphere of the biomes and then starting to get into the organization of the base building and and having fun and becoming more creative and climbing the tech tree um but again know thyself if you are likely to be frustrated by feeling a bit aimless and the and the story not necessarily coming to you that quickly and i had a big long chunk of the game where the story just didn't want to get anywhere near me like the radio calls weren't coming in i was actually starting to worry and feel quite lost and like the game had like slightly abandoned me but then maybe that was because i was playing on deadline for the podcast i don't know so it's really tricky i i feel like i'm quite personally bound up with my playthrough and like the save bugs and the bugs of the game were kind of like made me stressed out about it so it's really quite difficult but if you have if you're a chill person and you've got all the time in the world and you've got high tolerance for bugs and you don't have a PS5, then that you're going to have a completely different experience, you know. So, um, so yeah, so I just find myself very personally wound up in my in my play experience. So um, so I can't kind of like make a clean or even close to objective recommendation in that way. But but I definitely applaud the developers um, I love that there's a you know a new scene for underwater uh, underwater games and that they they went so wild and so dark with it and the fact that 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 it's so bright and beautiful on the surface but it goes so deep um, and to some really scary and dark biomes down below and with some really hairy moments and big dark creatures. I love that 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 they 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 thought of that scope and they went that deep and that the the scale of the spaceship is so enormous and that you can build this giant sub and everything. So there's lots to be impressed by. Um, so I, I am fond of it on balance. Um, so I'm not completely down on it. I don't knock it too hard for the, for the technical aspects and problems there. So, um, so yeah, great stuff. Uh, I think we got to the bottom of it. Um, I've been your host, Tom Quilfelt. I'd like to thank Ryan, Brian, John, uh, Editor Jay, as well as our correspondents and all of you for listening. Next time in issue 514, it's Mask Maker. (laughs) 